okay, this is where you start telling the story. Life is what happens while you're making other plans. If Karen Vineyard were ever to write a book, that might be what she would call it. My life that happened while I was making other plans. It's nothing that I ever planned for my life. It's nothing that I ever envisioned in my life to happen. Um, but it was, it, it did. Stories of Hope is a podcast about people who meet needs and change lives. This episode is about Karen. Just blame Karen. I've just done some, um, again, nothing big, nothing <laughs> glamorous by any means, um, but I can just share my story and share what happened. There was a time back before it happened when Karen Vineyard was just an accountant and a wife and a mother who lived in a small town in Illinois. She would have had no reason at all to see what was coming. In 2006, my husband was arrested in, um, for a d- drug charges. And, um, you know, life changed on that day. And yet, when she remembers everything that led up to that day, somehow Karen knew something was coming. It wasn't, a, it wasn't an out of the blue. We were having difficulties in our marriage. But, it, and, but it's kind of like when you read the end of the book before you've read everything else, then when you look back, then you see all the clues, how they fit together. And so I would, I would kind of de- um, describe it like that. Then it, then it kind of does hit you like a lightning bolt. It's like, ah, I get it now. This is the story of what happened after that day in 2006, after her husband went to jail and after she and her daughter were left to try and survive on their own. From Send Relief, this is Stories of Hope, episode 53. Just Karen. Most families keep their skeletons in the closet, hidden away where no one can see. But not Karen Vineyard. Her skeletons are on the internet, where anyone and everyone can relive the worst day of her life in cold clinical legalese. In the case of the United States of America versus Larry L. Vineyard, the defendant pleaded guilty of conspiring to manufacture, distribute, and possess with intent to distribute 500 grams or more of methamphetamine. Judge J. Phil Gilbert of the United States District Court of the Southern District of Illinois sentenced the defendant to 240 months imprisonment. That is the legal record of what happened to the Vineyard family on May 3, 2007. But the legal record is not Karen's record. One of my phrases in life is, we'll praise him if we win and we'll praise him if we lose. And uh, when, we, when we actually went that day for a sentencing, I had a, a group of friends that went with me and um, we prayed before we left. And, and that was basically the last thing I said, you know, we'll praise him if we win and we'll praise him if we lose. It had taken six months for Karen to work up to, we'll praise him if we lose. From the day her husband was arrested until this day, she had debated and deliberated and prayed and then prayed some more until, on this day, she'd finally made up her mind. She would not be bitter, and she would keep her family together. My 
husband, who was a Christian, is a Christian, was a Christian at the time, um, had strayed very far um, from from God. And um, he made a very bad choice. And it wasn't an immediate decision to remain married to him. But I always knew that there's somebody had to show Jesus to him. And it's not like you were just, you know, had this uh, wonderful outlook and and clear vision on day one. You know, it is as everything and as the Christian life is, it's a journey. And so I think it kind of goes back to what I told my daughter on, you know, that first day. It happened. We can't change it. So what are you going to do with it? The new normal is always the hardest kind of normal. In May 2007, everything normal for Karen Vineyard suddenly became awkward and uncomfortable. It's not anything I'm just going to, you know, walk up to you and say, hey, I'm Karen Vineyard. My husband's incarcerated. You know, it's not something that just comes up uh, naturally. Karen told her church what had happened, but then she told no one else that she was now a married single mom. Karen's and Jerry's daughter, Jessica, was in fourth grade, and Karen now started the hard work of raising her alone. Those were difficult times. Um, you know, she's, she, you're 10 years old. She's basically 11 um, and old enough to understand, but yet not old enough to understand everything. Um, she was very close to her dad. They had a very good relationship, you know, and, and it's just some of the things um, that just literally rip your heart out sometimes. You know, she um, took some of his clothes and wanted to um, just always have them near her so that she could smell them. You know, I mean, that smell of her her dad, you know. And um, so it was very devastating uh, to her. Settling into the strange and lonely day-to-day routine of a married single parent, Karen began the hard work of keeping her family together. It was just, um, you know, getting through the daily, daily life with a young child and just providing for her. She knew it would be difficult, but she didn't realize how difficult. He was in Milan, Michigan, which is eight hours away from us. And um, for, I don't know, a period of, I can't even remember how many years it was, we only were able to go see him like three times a year. And so those, even those trips, though, were an easy, you know, $300, $400, $500, you know, for just a weekend. And then you would not believe it, but phone calls are very expensive. You had to go through a phone service. And so all those things, uh, you know, again, it is just a very expensive just to maintain um, contact with your loved one. It was about this time that Karen's church stepped in with quiet offers of help. It began with Jessica's youth pastor who came to her with a discreet but very honest question. He asked her permission if they could, as the youth group, pray for her dad. And I appreciate that because it took the um, weirdness, the shame um, out of it. So many times you don't talk about these things because of that, uh, well, it's uncomfortable. I don't know what to say or those kind of things. So he asked her permission. So in youth group, they would pray for her dad. And then people were good um, 
just every once in a while if you know would hand me a card if there's a if they were able to if a $20 bill was in there you know or something like that and then a friend of ours gave Jessica a box of stationery so she could write her dad and then I had you know friends who um, would always make sure she had extra birthday gifts um, those things and again from a mother's heart are so appreciated In the same way that time flies for almost every parent of every child, the years passed quickly for Karen until one day, not too long ago, she came to an invisible but very real finish line. I think after Jessica graduated from college, it was kind of, I think, that moment of total relief that it was, hey, we've made it. You know what I mean? From an 11-year-old girl um, to a, a, a very accomplished um, graduated, you know, she was the valedictorian of her class. And um, just for her to remain faithful to God um, through the whole circumstance, you know, that was kind of that, that moment where you saw the light at the end of the tunnel and you'd say, you know what, thank you, God, it, it, it is going to be okay. Time may not heal every wound, but it can teach us valuable lessons. That's what happened to Karen. She learned the hard way what it's like to have a family member incarcerated. That's why now she travels to different churches, tells people her story, and shows them how they can help families like hers. There's like 2.7 million um, children who have a parent in prison. And I think you would be very surprised at how many people um, probably have a family member who is incarcerated. And you may be sitting next to them in church, but yet it's not something we just talk about. Um, but that's what I think that we have to, where we have to, to get to. Because many times the families of the incarcerated, well, they're many times the children are the invisible victims of crime. Second Corinthians um, chapter one, verses three and four. And it's all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. That's, that's kind of where I am, is that um, I might have been a woman that has suffered, but I'm not without hope. This has been Stories of Hope from Send Relief. Today's episode, Just Karen. You can meet needs and change lives just like Karen's church did. When she speaks to congregations now, this is the practical advice Karen gives them. People need um, clothing, shelter, or food. You know, their whole source of income may be gone then if a spouse um, is incarcerated. So thinking about that as a church, those are ways to minister. And then just also just maintaining contact with the incarcerated. That's the second thing. Um, send the incarcerated your bulletin from church. Um, send them a birthday card. And, and always, always minister to the kids. I wish uh, people knew how much it means to a mother for the church to minister to your child if there's a missing parent. We may think it's nothing to send a birthday card to a child, 
but sometimes it can mean the world. And um, those are those are things just that the, that again the church can do. Um, you know, that just to kind of uplift that that family. For more practical tips on how you can meet needs and change lives, go to sendrelief.org. If you haven't already done so, subscribe to Stories of Hope. You'll automatically get a new episode every two weeks. Go to Apple or Spotify podcasts and search for Stories of Hope. And finally, if you liked what you heard here, please rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. That'll help other people find us and enjoy these stories too. And join us in two weeks for another episode of Stories of Hope.